0: It is Saturday, the 2nd of July, 2022, and this is the future
1: of photography. And music follows, a lot of logos, all kinds of fun, and we're back. <laughs> hey,
0: everybody. Uh, this is Adrian and with me, Jeremiah, today. Just the two of us this week. How you doing,
1: buddy? Good, good, good. Uh, here in California, it is uh, summer which means it's a lovely time of year it's not overly hot and it is beautiful so
0: i'm glad to hear it it's it's been quite nice here in the uk as well uh it's uh, which is a, a little different kind of okay but uh yes it's summer here and the weather's nice and warm not too hot actually which is nice uh just about right although i did go out Last weekend, I was the reason I wasn't on the, on the podcast. Last week, I was out with a friend of mine. We were walking around, having a photo walk around Brighton on the south coast of England.
1: Oh, yeah! Uh,
0: fantastic place. Uh, always lots of things to see. There, very colourful uh, city. Pier is
1: still standing, I assume. Uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the one that's
0: still standing. <laughs> the one that's still standing. Yeah, the one that's still standing is still standing. I remember seeing some uh, a, fo- a, a blog post or something or other on a, on a, a non-British website uh, a little while ago when there had been some storms. Uh, and somebody had posted uh, a photograph of Brighton West Pier, which is the, the ruined pier, yeah,
1: um, that's and, the
0: one uh, with waves coming up all over what's left of the, yeah. the, the structure of that old burnt out pier uh, with the tagline, something like, don't worry, it looked like that before the storms. were." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brighton is a great place to do a photo walk because there's a lot of, as I recall, there's a lot of great ironic imagery to kind of draw from.
0: The, there is the, it, it's it's, uh, in terms of photography it, and uh, it's kind of the city that just keeps on giving so you've got that <laughs> you know old fashioned British seaside town feel to it with you know uh, yeah, if, if you want to practice your Martin Parr seaside town you yeah, know, exactly. so photography I'm yeah. um, not actually I should, probably for, for those that are not British not to be confused with New Brighton which is actually near Liverpool um, and is not on the south it is in England but in the northwest of England as opposed to the city of brighton and hove uh, which is in the south coast of england uh but yeah you can practice your martin parr style seaside town photography uh it's got a lot because of the the very diverse culture there there's loads of stuff going on uh there's always loads of events as well um i think we we photog- took a few photographs of a skateboarding competition which was just a little bit of fun uh and just generally around the town is is all good uh all good, good people watching Yes, very much good people watching, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's why I wasn't so here. Is that's
1: that the DNA of uh, today's theme. Which it is. is, it is, yeah, because How... I've, oh. I've
0: got that, I can talk about a little bit. Uh, you've just had a trip to Joshua Tree, haven't you?
1: Yes, though uh, the stones in Joshua Tree, the desert there, I wouldn't really describe it as being fun. <laughs> it's very, very powerful, very Prehistoric is how I would describe it. And um, uh, one keeps asking, well, how did these stones get like this? How did they arrange themselves in these kind of odd balancing acts? Uh, How are some stones so smooth and others so crispy? Uh, But the light is just exquisite. And um, it's a very, very um, unique and amazing landscape because the Joshua trees, for people who don't know it, they they must grow on an elevation, I think, around 3,200 feet. And they're only found there in that park. They're very, very distinctive and specific kinds of trees. And one is also just blown away by the amount of life in the desert the amount of creatures that are running, you know, whether it's rabbits or all kinds of, of uh, tiny little scampering road runners that, you know, just darting across. and Of course, you have bugs. But uh, it is a, a really beautiful place as the light kind of comes up in the morning and descends in the evening. It is absolutely magic and a great place for landscape photography. In fact, my last show of kind of classic photography, if you can call it that, was um, made up of shots I did in Joshua Tree. um, That was a couple of years ago, or actually now more pre-pandemic. So I'm drawn to that um, landscape. It is kind of interesting, and it's hard to go wrong.
0: Ah, Famous last words.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unless you happen to be there during an earthquake, because it is right on the fault line.
0: Is it? I didn't and know that's that. That's how
1: it. the stones got that way. Oh, I see. I didn't.
0: I did sky. not know that. Know. Every day's a learning day. So, so we've both been out and about a bit recently. Uh, a Good opportunity then to, for today's show, which is a bit of a catch-up on on personal workflows, uh, particularly around you know uh, personal uh, photo projects um, rather than professional <laughs> photo projects. Uh, and just to just to talk about yeah uh, you know, what we what we got going on there. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, what tell us what were you um, what what cameras were you using? What were you, what were you shooting out there in Joshua Tree?
1: Well, I took several, um, in no particular order. I took a little Canon. Um, I don't even know what the name is, but it, it's like an optical viewfinder that uh, has the equivalent of like a 600 millimeter lens. Ooh, okay. It's very, very small, just fits in your hand. I think it's mainly for bird watching, though I don't know. So I shot that, didn't use it that much, but I did do some compression work that way. My main cameras, both of them that I used, my Leica Q, Q2, which is my go to camera, my favorite camera. So I did a lot of that, very, very sharp and beautiful. And then uh, I did bring a tripod and uh, the Fuji. Uh, GW 6x9, which is really a camera that is the closest to a portable large format, relatively large format. It's called, in kind of local terms, the Texas Leica. Ah, yes. (laughs) There's no batteries involved. There's no light meter involved. Uh, It does have a focusing ring and an adjustable f-stop and speed. That is it. Um, but the quality of the lens and the quality of the large negative is really fantastic. And I did some fun things where I would put the camera on a tripod, open the shutter, and I brought a very, very uh, strong high beam flashlight. And I would paint some of the rocks as the... Uh-huh as the light was descending and kind of place highlights there. And, you know, I just can't leave nature on its own. I've <laughs> got to <laughs> screw with it constantly. And, um, but that was a lot of fun.
0: That right sound, for
1: stargazing, yeah. of course. That, that does sound position. like a lot of
0: fun. I've done that yeah. before, a bit, of, a bit of light painting. So um, the, although I tell you what, I've also done it with a, a speed light set on its lowest power and you can just mm. ping, you can ping it at different things um uh which is uh is an interesting one to do as well um uh, you just light up certain things here and there by you know, essentially just shooting shooting it at whatever direction you want think, things you want to light that
1: That's good Yeah fun. there's a there's yeah. a wonderful uh NFT artist really Ruben. I forget his last name but I think he goes by the name of It's Ruben, and you can probably look him up on Instagram but he specializes in attaching lights to a drone and running it into the most beautiful landscapes and doing these perfect circles or oh, I've streets seen that. of streets yeah. of light, and mm-hmm. and they, they are truly magic. And his work is just starting to get uh, quite known and absolutely beautiful. Yeah, some kind of, of those, of yeah, awe of him.
0: some of those very much are. So yeah, like um, I, I've seen them with, um, you know, in, in a. Uh, in a landscape at night with some some rocks, usually pointy <laughs> rocks, and setting the drone to circle just around you know around yeah, the exactly. top of a pointy. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah that,
1: that's, that's, that's that's his work, and, and you know I, I do say that that you know in the um, in the nature of having fun, um, I do have a uh, <clears throat> a, tri- a, a tripod um, that has a iPhone attachment built in. So you can just pull it out of the leg, Mm -hmm. attach it so you don't need any kind of specialty gear, and you just slam your little iPhone on and and open the lens or, you know, slow, slow shutter. And again, paint. Painting with light is really a lot of fun. And it also is very informative about the balance of natural light and kind of applied light. Mm. And you can see what burns out what doesn't how long the exposure and you get a lot of freestyling and great stuff that that works obviously yeah. we've all seen the light to camera where people are drawing yeah. with light, mm-hmm. but but actually bouncing light off subjects with um low light i remember when i was starting photography and working on fashion i would do that again with strobes uh where i would i would go out set the shutter Very, you know, you know, high, basically all all to sync speed, but close it down exterior hot sun to like 11 or 16 and use Kodachrome 25 and then big blasts of light (laughs) and the saturation of the color and all of that was quite fun.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I tell you what is really good for that, actually, is if anybody has an Olympus camera, because the Olympus cameras have a, a composite mode so for for longer exposures um and uh uh, i think they call it live composite and so you you put your camera on a tripod and you set it set it in this mode and it's a a long exposure but it adds to it it adds selectively to the data it captures and displays in the image so but you know if it's um uh, it's, it's, a bit diffi- it's a bit difficult to describe in words, but you see your picture emerging on the rear screen of the camera uh, as it builds the various different bits, uh, which is quite handy for if you're going to do some of that yeah, light painting type stuff, because you can see it actually, you yeah, know, the impact it makes on the long exposure itself as you go as the as the exposure builds, which is which is cool. So okay, so that so uh, that's interesting. You you didn't at any point mention that you took your Leica Q2 out there. Then is is that not a camera you had with you?
1: Yes, no, that was my go-to, and I I did ah. use that a lot. I shot ah, okay. uh, a whole ton of pictures with my Q2 because you know you just strap it over your body. You don't really need. I mean, you know, the the six nine in in bright light, you certainly don't need to uh, to put it on a tripod. It, um, and that works very well. It's a much heavier camera. But the, the Q2 is, is, you know, for me, it's my dream camera because you can just grab it. You don't have to make a decision about what lenses should I bring. It yeah. has one lens. It's <laughs> it has
0: one lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that lens is really optimized for that particular uh, chip. And uh, the pictures just consistently turn out. I'm talking about the quality of the image. Not the subject, but they do uh, (laughs) capture beautifully um, all of the nuances that you, you know, you intend. So, yeah, I'm crazy about the camera.
0: Cool. Okay. All right. So I stopped
1: using my other, my M, whatever I have, 9, completely. I don't use it anymore.
0: Interesting. So, to re- that's, that's, so so you've been out there. So that's uh, you've been out on a deliberately on a photo trip, uh, which sounds fantastic. Taking a range of cameras, done a range of work. That sounds that sounds good. Um, from for my part, and on the capture part of the workflow at the moment, mm. I'm it's all about the Olympus TG6 that I got a few weeks ago. At the moment, which I am thoroughly enjoying exploring, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I'm finding loads of new stuff in it all the time which is fantastic um it's uh, trying to try and it, it does a it does a lot of stuff with what olympus called art filters um which uh is a really interesting i'm trying to learn how to work with those in a way that isn't nuclear powered right? <laughs> because some of them can be pretty um pretty drastic uh, and which, which is good, yeah, it can be good. But what what I found with the TG six as opposed to the TG four that I had previously is that you can capture the raw file underneath all of
1: that. Ah, uh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So if you could, if you shoot the JPEG with the applied filter, which is cool, and then the raw, you have the raw, which you can do. You could duplicate it in higher quality, or you can just take it in a whole other direction, but you still have the application of the filter. Um, my Lumix has that too.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually because it's um, the, the one one of the one of the the looks that I like. And um, actually, just a quick question: Did you yet receive a copy of my Zine in the post? Uh, not yet. Oh, okay, that's interesting. It's obviously taking its while to cross the ocean. and uh, An ocean but, liner. But uh, the the that was that was shot with one of these Olympus art filters primarily, um, but sometimes you have to. To work it a little bit after the fact, uh, which which usually I do by blending in the raw file underneath it, just to take the edge off the effects, just to to get it to where I want it to be. But it's um uh, it's it's a really interesting camera, and uh, and you can make those you can make those JPEGs after the fact as well. So if you take it with one thing on uh, um one of those art filters on, and then uh, you you decide actually no that was the wrong one, you can reprocess the raw photo in the camera. Uh, and you know with a different mm-hmm. with, with a different um a different filter on it now that doesn't sound like rocket science um you know because anybody yeah you know, a lot of cameras can do that especially you know people who own for example fuji cameras and the film simulations in fujis but it's quite unusual i think in a pocket camera um especially one of that that tiny size um and so it's a real real luxury to have and i'm really enjoying the camera and finding new things about it it's got me yeah you know, i'm doing a lot of macro photography like tiny tiny things because it focuses at about a centimeter distance you know um and and you can get these incredible photos out of it. So I, I'm definitely um, definitely got some ideas for for my next zine, which is based around, around macro photography.
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I, I like that. Another reason that I kind of uh, shout out to like as well is there's a um, a macro pull on the lens, so you can just just uh, just switch it to macro, and then you have all of that 45 megapixels sharpness. Um, yeah, that's that M, sounds, I sounds I
0: pretty should... awesome. I'd like to see some of those actually. You should, you should share yeah. some of those just to see the amount of detail in it. the 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 style I'm working in at the moment um uh, is definitely not about sharpness. It's more about impressions of stuff than it is about about uh the what you what you might call the technical image quality. Um, uh, which is probably good, given that the camera I'm using is is not capable of anywhere near no. some other cameras' ca- you know, technical capability. Uh,
1: but Do you think that that uh, in your or one selection of a camera when one goes out for a photo walk or a little exploration really does determine the attitude that you have about the image making process? So, for example, I I like going out just with my iPhone for a walk, and I tend to take a lot of pictures. And I also feel that you—it's just easy to throw those away and not be precious about it. And yet, when you really do determine that you love a picture, the quality is pretty astonishing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, i I wouldn't say you want to do a thirty by forty blow up of them. (laughs) Um. You know, unless you want to use a lot of kind of AI or different kinds of software to muck it around, which, of course, I love doing. But but just in terms of of web-based or small mags or small books, um, you can hear the squirrel through the microphone. <laughs> We've
0: well, we got a super, a super <laughs> got special a guest song. on the podcast this week. It's sque- Does the squirrel have a name or is it?
1: Yeah, uh, that's Ruthie.
0: That's Ruth, Ruthie. Okay. Oh, uh, shout out to Ruthie then. Shout I mean. out
1: to Ruthie. Yeah,
0: live audience. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think to answer your question, yeah. Uh, um, I, although maybe in my head at the, at the at the in the at the moment, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional and deliberate about that. So I I there's there's a a thing I'm aiming for at the moment. So I choose the camera that allows me to achieve that thing. But having said that, I do completely agree with you that if you happen to take a different camera it it does it for me at least it does um influence the kind of pictures I make yeah. and take right it's
1: well, yeah. the the example I would use is you know when i took the uh the, the six nine for a stroll into the desert uh you load it up with one twenty and it takes eight shots that's it mm. yeah, and yeah. so Um, it's not that I carried other, it's too dusty and dirty to kind of reload there, but at least a bit bit tricky. So I just, you know, so knowing that I have eight shots to make, I would be very, very determined of, of which, um, angles I would use or what the composition I tried to be very, very formal. I try to approach it, um, like I would a four by five. Hmm you know, on a big kind of process where you'd really set up and take maybe an hour to make a picture. Of course, I only took maybe three minutes at <laughs> that. <laughs> but, but still, the attitude was really be very deliberate about yeah. each of your pictures, especially today. You know, um, I use a a, um, a company called The Dark Room here in the U.S. They're very kind of very good work in terms of processing, because I don't do that anymore, then my friends, they humiliate me constantly of not going and working with them. <laughs> mine, but, too. But,
0: mine too, mine <laughs> too.
1: But I have to say, I popped it in the mail with instructions, and within five days, I had, not only did I have all the negatives back, but they were digitized on very high, high-end high digitized, mm-hmm. So I didn't have to do that um, with a little contact sheet. So nice. Nice. I th- that's pretty that's good. Pretty, that, that is pretty yeah.
0: good. Um, we, um, yeah, it, you wouldn't probably get that turnaround so quickly in the UK at the moment. Um, the, that, and that's not a criticism of any of the labs in the UK. I think what's happening in the UK is that there's a huge demand as film photography becomes more and more popular again, there's a huge demand placed on the labs and and there are more labs popping up. But I think the demand for lab services is outstripping supply at the moment. Um, so we don't get quite a turnaround uh, that quickly. But, hey, hey that's got to be good news for everybody, right? So, well, isn't
1: it funny that you say that because... At the Darkroom, currently, when I went onto the website, because you go into the website, you fill out all of the stuff that you need to, and it prints the, your shipping labels, everything, your yep. return labels. Yeah, yeah. But I did find that it said that they are only taking existing customers.
0: Oh, interesting. So they're obviously getting a lot like of funds. Same demand kind as of deal. Well, yeah, right. a
1: lot of demand, shortage of staff, shortage of chemistry. All of those supply yeah, chain yeah. issues affect them as well. So that you, um, yeah, they're just basically, unless you have a registered account there and have been using them, they're not accepting any new customers right now
0: yeah that's that's interesting so uh well okay so there we go tell you what this is a show about workflow right so we've talked a bit bit about capture we've talked a little bit about processing of film both of us using labs that that we we know and like to work with um and then you get uh, your scans back right next step in the workflow and i've got some changes here recently as well um uh a few little changes um but what are you doing um i i pretty reasonably confident i know that you're a, a a uh, an adobe user aren't you so do you for, at least for your professional work is that is that what you also use for your own personal photography
1: yeah i don't make a distinction because i don't really you know, i don't consider myself a professional photographer any longer but um so everything is really kind of personal work or you know part of the art practice that i engage in but yep. What I would say is I do use Adobe, though I, I also use Skylum and Luminar, all of that. Um, I do doubt because some of these things do a better job, at very specific things, you know, I use On1, I use Boris. Um, I, th- th- there's a few. Nick, I have a, you know, a, a good yeah, They've just released of,
0: a new version of those as well, haven't they? All the Nick that's suite. right. Yeah. So,
1: I, so um, I will use some of them for different kinds of purposes. But my workflow tends to be, whether it's film or digital, I'll import these into very specific folders in my Lightroom library, then pull them in, and then start to um, address whatever I need to in terms of additions. What I liked about uh, Lightroom is the organizational aspects of it. So it really is up to the user uh, to be able to find an image or a kind of image within a, you know, a hundred thousand pictures or whatever you happen to have in your library. Um, So there's that. Also there's some plugins, uh, for example, negative lab. So I can put a, just a digitized negative, which is as close to raw as we can have. Mm -hmm. And then I can, I can kind of process the negative with an application of a film quality right in Lightroom nice and then and then edit it so um, it's just something I've been doing for a really long time I know that I know it like you I think I started with Aperture
0: yeah I was I was I loved (laughs) Aperture
1: but I hadn't I just had a notion and I'm very much in the Apple you know cosmology here but I just had a notion that Lightroom had more of a commitment because of mm-hmm. Adobe mm-hmm. and being kind of totally committed to image-making, whereas Apple was really... Like they did on Final Cut. I mean, they yeah. it had a trajectory of professional use, and then they kind of circled back to more um, personal use or prosumer use, and that that's no you know, not really a put down of it. They that's where they saw putting their money in development and all of that is to that kind of ease of use and the nuances of of kind of production editing is not something that they can compete with, though many still use it that way. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, it it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I about a year a year or two ago let's say not not too long ago um i was digging around in an old computer and i found a working installation of aperture uh, and i went to play oh, wow. with it um and uh it let's just say it hasn't aged very well um <laughs> the the user interface which is what many people loved it for and the ways of working mm. still brilliant right um but the the photo editing tools uh you know uh haven't aged very well you you i know we get so many updates to so many systems you know and they're all very incremental aren't they and and that's Mm. fine but but stepping back to something that at that point would have been i know let's say 10 years old give or take um, you could really see the difference in how the software worked. Yeah. You know, um, uh, oh,
1: you, sure. You, you yeah. slide a
0: slider, and you go, no, no, that doesn't look. Yeah. That's not what I was after. <laughs> so it, these things have moved on a lot, and it's it's, it's easy is easy, easy to uh, to forget about that. Yeah. But yeah. And
1: so my, my getting back to my basic workflow is I'll put things through um, through Lightroom, and I'll do all my preliminary edits through Lightroom, which every update. Improves, I say, in terms of what is possible, even masking is now quite sophisticated. Um, and the amount of kind of third-party plugins for it is pretty significant. When I want to do something that is much more nuanced or, or working with curves and layers, um, then I will just go, I'll still be in um, Lightroom, but I'll go into what they call the edit in. So I can pull right. down, yes. yeah, edit yeah. in, and then I have a whole pile of, of uh, film editing, you know, app, software applications. I'll go to Photoshop. I'll make my changes. I'll adjust that. I can flatten or non. And then when I save it, it is saved right into Lightroom. Mm. So I don't have to kind of then re-import it. It's just seamless that way. Yeah. Um and that just, just enables me to kind of do the things I need to and keeping it all in the Adobe world, which um seems to be working for me. Um but then I'll, you know, I'll i very, very um with very little prodding take an image and go much further afield with more specialty um pieces of, of software.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's I think uh as you know i'm not an adobe user so and i think in when i've been talking about in the past on this podcast and others about you know my my treatment of of Assets, digital assets. Uh, I think I horrify some users sometimes, some listeners, I should say sometimes. Um, so, so, uh, so, so some of those people I normally horrify might be a little bit encouraged by a change I have made recently, um, which about how it is that I manage the digital assets. I'm still using Apple Photos as my primary asset manager. Um, it, it does miss some functionality, clearly compared to some other more professional and more dedicated tools. But I find it just it just works right in this, and not in that apple um re- rhetoric sense of it just works um which is yeah which is always a bit flaky at times um but in the sense that for me right it is the the path of least resistance because uh, i can take a card out of my camera um, and i can get my little sd card dongle and i can load things into either my phone if i'm out of that or an ipad or i can stick it in sd card reader that's attached to my laptop or whatever it is um, and, and i don't have to worry about it and and it synchronizes and it's available everywhere and it synchronizes slowly yeah. and it's not no, no, yeah. but
1: it does it very i think very effectively i mean all my iphone photos are ending up on the apple you know
0: yeah and for people who photos. haven't and people who haven't looked at it recently actually the the photos app the uh, on ios and and Map.
1: excellent it Thank has you. had
0: a bit of love from the developers recently mm. so you can now do things like um, edit metadata in it and you, you yeah. know and you can add captions to things and the inbuilt AI driven search is really good as well so you can keyword of course but you know, I don't not to bother these days if I want to see a picture of a yellow car I will type yellow car in and it will bring back pictures right so so there's uh, so, so that works well the change I've made recently um, I think Last time I got some pushback from the Internet, which which was given with love, I'm sure uh, the last time I had some, was, was when I talked about the fact that I didn't have a single machine that had all my or, or disk that <laughs> had all my imagery on it. And that actually the master repository was in the cloud. And I think that that disturbed a few people, um, with, perhaps with good reason. Um, so one of the things I've done recently is I took one of my big backup drives, one of my RAID enclosures, and I converted it into a system drive. Uh, so I then had a uh, a system drive with a two terabyte disk, mm-hmm. um, which is plenty for me um my my whole you know body of, of of digital assets these days is kicking up somewhere around 1.2 terabytes i think so i i am not because i don't shoot a lot of video and i don't have a 43 megapixel camera actually um you know it, it takes me quite a while to build up the the, the storage of yeah you know, the, the size of the the data store but it does mean that i can fit in in a single raid enclosure and i could swap the drives out i suppose couldn't i if i needed more storage i can fit all of my digital assets so what i've done now is i created a system drive with uh, on that um on that raid system and i put all of the assets um all of my photos and videos that are in macOS photos i told it to download them all and synchronize them uh, so for those that don't work in the Mac system, you can choose your with with your device whether you want it to keep a copy locally of all your images and videos or whether just to do that selectively to save disk space. And, of course, that's you know, if you've got uh, uh, my MacBook, is, I don't even know how much storage is on it. It's 256 or 512 or whatever. Clearly nowhere near enough to store everything. Um, you, that gives you the ability to, to store everything in the cloud. Uh, so now I have... Uh, a, a hard drive that I can plug into my laptop at any time uh, and I can download all of the images and make sure I have locally a, a copy of everything. And because yeah, it's on know. an external drive, I can it's keep it up to date because I currently have a Ma- uh, an M1 MacBook Pro. Um, uh it was, you know, that RAID drive originally, yeah, previously was on attached to, I think, a 2012 iMac and the 2012 mm-hmm. iMac couldn't run the latest operating systems and things like that. So having built it as a system drive. Uh, rather than just using it as a data drive, I can then keep it up to date with whatever hardware I have that I upgrade to. So I should always be able to keep the the latest features and operating system on it.
1: So that's my decision. I do do something kind of similar. And also on my phone, um, if I've shot a lot of pictures that I like, I will generally uh, select them and move them to a folder uh, using you know, just to basically, you know, share. I share, sharing on my, you know, on my main M1. And then I'll throw those into Lightroom too, to be assessed. So I will have a backup because I have the photos also backing up to the cloud. Mm-hmm. All my photos on, um, on my drives are backed up to Backblaze, another cloud. Um, so everything is kind of Multiple backups, because, you know, I always think if it's not down, it's going down.
0: Yes, yeah, because you live a bit and big. So we don't get earthquakes in this country, particularly. Um, uh, so uh, the uh, the UK geologically and, and meteorologically, at least if you live on a hill, is a relatively safe place. California, slightly less so. <laughs>
1: A little bit more on the edge here, but I'm just talking about like you know your drives going down and things yeah, yeah, like I that, know. and so or squirrel, squirrels good. getting
0: at them, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly nibbling away at my images. But yeah, so backing up, I think is a, I think we're both saying it's very very important to have backups offsite and onsite because you don't want to lose your pictures. Most yeah. other things can be uh, duplicated, but. You know, your photography now is part of your life memory. Absolutely. It's yeah. that's why people run into burning buildings too. First thing they do is they take their photos.
0: Yeah, crazy, crazy. Then
1: they're, they're, kid, then
0: they're kids. Then, yeah, <laughs> no, kids can make their own way out. But, the uh, yeah, so uh, what else is going on in, my, in, in my, uh, my workflow? I mean, you talked about lots of apps that you use. Um, oh, I'm still using the Affinity sweet uh by serif uh for for my work so so if i need to do some some more intensive processing affinity photo uh works great uh i still love to use that on the ipad with the apple pencil it just feels like a lot much more natural to me to be able to i
1: I use that on my ipad yeah it's excellent really excellent and photoshop is not quite there on the ipad yet it's getting better but it's still not there it's not intuitive for me,
0: yeah, Affinity Photo works very, very well. Um, it's uh, uh, also actually, uh, an app I've talked about in the past, uh, related to the iPad, but has recently come out on the iPhone is Pixelmator Photo. Um, mm-hmm. so that's that's um, uh they they've done quite a good job i mean yeah the, i think one of the reasons they didn't bring it out on the iphone before is they were they were going to struggle to get some of their user interface i think into a, a phone uh, screen uh but they've done a pretty good job actually i don't think it's got full pe- feature parity but certainly um what features it does have are read across and sync through icloud and things like that so that's um so that's that's a nice new one Where, would you still-
1: say that like in terms of photo editing software there is you know, for me, organization is absolute and very, very important. In other words, where do my photos live? How, do they, how are they organized in terms of access? Can I kind of uh, create little addition suites? Can I reference them? Can I get to them easily? So that, that becomes extraordinarily important. Um, just throwing them into a drive doesn't mean anything for me. So the organization skill. Then the processing. And processing means that, I'm not even talking about fine editing, moving from a negative or a raw file into a visible image.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so there's that. Um, and one could argue what the best kind of, you know, is it phase one or is it the Adobe? or You know, there's all kinds of ways of processing. Um, for me, I just stay in the DNG world because I know it and I've, I'm used to it. Um, And then there's the photo editing. Most people, I think, are just editing contrast, little color, black, highlights, maybe a little brightness, stuff that's found on your iPhone. Like very, very simple and just using five or six different sliders can completely transform.
0: Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not above just pressing the enhance button. <laughs> let, let the machine do it for you. That that'll get you to a starting position at least. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and after that, then you get into more nuanced, which yeah. is um, masking, layers, layering, all of those kinds of uh, curves, working with histograms. Um, that requires another layer of processing, and then beyond that, we have uh, AI, which is you know, at the uh, kind of of the onset, it's like, just here's a lot that we like, put it on your picture to, you know, a a total recreation of an image based on um, subjective input. Yeah. And that stuff is getting more and more and more sophisticated. And then output, which we've talked about in the past on this podcast, which is printing, whether it's Instax or Piezo or straight up from your printer or printing service or printing on different materials, whether it's canvas, metal, glass, wood, those are all available as well. And so when you talk about kind of a workflow, it really depends always on one's initial intention. Yes. Where do you want the image to exist land um, so that will determine your output and the you know is it 300 dpi or 72 dpi you know you don't have to do a one size does not fit all hmm. and converting that based on the output is also important so there's more information that one normally needs if one's just wants to have fun uh, but if you want to really drill down, there's all manner of very sophisticated uh, editing. And that is increasing in in its own kind of performance year by year in an absolutely spectacular way, which just for someone like myself just inspires me to be creative. In other words, I'll look at uh, a feature and I'll go, well, how, how can I subvert it? You know, how can I? <laughs> turn it around not just use it um I think so if-
0: that's an interesting i mean that's a great topic in itself because right, we're talking about the the you know the personal projects the fun photo projects you know uh where where you do get to play and that is the delight isn't it you know that's where you get to, to play around so tell me tell me about subverting features as they come out that sounds cool
1: well yeah i think mean, you just look at like oh this particular piece does this like this this thing you know enhances the grain
0: right yeah okay okay, mm-hmm.
1: okay i want a little more grainy but then you think well now i, I could make these grains really big <laughs> so i could have the biggest grain but less of them well, yeah. what does that do or vice versa um i can soften the grain or well, what is that murky you have a sharp picture but soft grain or you have a soft picture with sharp grain so there's a lot of dynamics which do affect how you see a picture and again how that's output uh, you know seeing that on a printed Mm, yeah i uh, see what you mean yes matte paper is different than a glossy paper different than an instax big small all of that or a screen so
0: yeah no I see what you mean yeah so yeah I think there's definitely definitely some of that coming through especially I mean it's a good example you've chosen for me cuz you know, I am deliberately aiming for a pretty graphical style at the moment and and you know leaning in to use the current vernacular uh leaning into that graphical style so yeah i do like to try and push the boundaries and when it comes to the editing is it i mean i talked about using affinity photo that's great and that can give you subtlety and power but uh, i'm also not always looking for subtlety in my edits so so actually i find quite often phone apps um are you know are, are an interesting way to process stuff so yeah you know, i mean typically you know, uh i mean i'm i'm starting off right i mean this is this is the fun photo workflow so i'm starting off with a small pocket camera that's designed to be more, you yeah, know more proof against salt water than it is to provide you know pixel clarity so you know uh i am not going for technical yeah even from the capture point i'm not no. going for for technical um you know perfection here but i do and and then in my workflow I and mean, if you use uh apple um apple raw conversion i think typically works at about eight bits. So you may have a 14-bit camera, right? But you're not getting that if you use Apple to convert your RAW file. Sure. That's okay for me, right? Because of, this, because of what I'm doing at the moment. And if I, if I do need more, then I do go to Affinity Photo for the RAW processing, which will draw out all of the information that's been captured. So that, that, that's the exception rather than the rule for me at the moment um but yeah i i do find it really interesting to play with okay well you know what what if i put a a, you know a, a ray of light you know coming from that window towards that person in this photo or something like that and play with it and i think that's um that that's good fun and then as you say you get to the printing side of it i still still loving my little 6x4 canon selfie die sub printer i yeah, still, there use, you that. Go. still use that quite a lot i was just going to show you i don't think i've got any on the desk at the moment but they're always all over the place they're the little six by four prints yeah, um, they're and recently having printed my first scene that was a really interesting process as well sure um that was uh, somebody somebody who received a copy of it and has already given me some some nice feedback on it said oh i really like your choice of paper yeah how did you choose the paper? I was like, oh, okay, that's a really interesting question. um yeah. uh, And it was uh, the paper I chose was was essentially just a, a a bleached white uncoated paper, the sort of thing that you would find in a photocopier, sure. right? Yeah. <laughs> if you were going well, yeah, because what I was going were, for, yeah, what, what just, I was going for yeah, was that zine aesthetic. The right for the
1: right images, exactly.
0: Right? I wouldn't print Shall all we? of my uh, images on uncoated bleached paper. <laughs> <but> <laughs>
1: shall we do picks?
0: shall we do picks? yes we should actually gosh yes time flies when you're having fun does not it um i actually don't have a pick of the week this week so it's just over to you for our single uh pick I of the week i
1: have i have a pick it's it's kind of it just takes us to um you know a throwback on some of your stuff which is um it's a camera called a scura and it's adoragoodman.com. We'll put it in the show notes. But um, it's a unique 3D-printed pinhole camera. And I think you could buy, and what's interesting to me is you can buy the plans, or you can get the plans. Okay. Ah, you know, well. It's free. Open-source the plans, pull them down, and print it and assemble it yourself.
0: Okay. Okay. So I think
1: that is a very interesting thing for me, you know, for the DIY types you could personalize it there's all kinds of things you can do but i would uh you know follow this is it's a fun thing to do if you're into um building something
0: that yeah that's that is interesting isn't it yeah um because i don't know about you but i've got quite a few friends these days who do some pretty decent quality 3d printing and have access to to, yeah yeah really good care i have um just a a very basic almost a toy 3d printer here at home just that and that actually was a present to play uh, yeah it was a gift to play around with uh from my wife and kids um which is which is a bit of fun um but i and i've done a little bit of printing um uh with it uh but the idea to print a camera is is yeah print your own camera is pretty cool actually i like that
1: yeah there's a lot of services
0: oh you're being attacked by (laughs) a drone
1: (laughs) no (laughs) problem anyway um we should wrap this up but um it's been kind of fun it's nice nice to catch
0: up on these conversations now and again isn't it just to see how things change over time yeah because they
1: do and they they change fast yeah yeah they do
0: yeah cool all right well there we go uh thank you everybody for listening uh we have been the future of photography for this week just the two of us and we'll see you next week goodbye
1: bye-bye all.